Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. After several years of virtually non-existent relations, Greek Foreign Minister Yorgos Gerapetritis spoke on the phone Wednesday with Najla Mangush, the interim foreign minister of the Government of National Unity in Tripoli. According to diplomatic sources, Gerapetritis stressed the need to relaunch relations between Athens and Tripoli and to open direct channels of communication. Athens' willingness to restart relations comes at a time when Ankara is also taking steps toward rapprochement with countries in the region, like Egypt, and with actors in eastern Libya. Expert Aya Broela joins me to look at these latest developments and break down what they mean for Libya and the region. Aya Broela is a Libyan expert from Benghazi based in Athens, is the founder and director of the nonprofit Code on the Road, and a BBC woman expert in terrorism and radicalization. Aya, great to have you back on The Greek Current. It's always good to be back, Thanos. Thank you for having me. Aya, is this phone call between Greece's foreign minister, Najla Mangush, the beginning of a turning point in Athens' relations with Tripoli? Uh, it's hard to tell from now, uh, but it's definitely a thawing of relationships. It's good to start talking. But at the end of the day, it's really important to remember uh, that decisions are made in Ankara and not in Tripoli. Aya, for Athens and Tripoli, the 2019 Turkish-Libyan Memorandum has been a main stumbling block in their relations. How far can any reset possibly go as long as this remains in place? This deal and the one that uh, happened last year, uh, which built on uh, the MOU of 2019, is a serious stumbling block, not just for Greece, but for Egypt as well. Uh, and until a resolution of these fundamental issues that affect the sovereignty of Greece, the sovereignty of Egypt, and of course the sovereignty of Libyans themselves, I don't see a serious way forward. Given that decisions passed through Ankara, is the recent thaw in relations between Greece and Turkey part of the broader picture here? Oh, definitely. Um, Turkey is on a campaign to be readmitted into the fold in the Middle East. They were in Saudi Arabia recently. They've been approaching the Eastern Parliament as well, trying to thaw their relationships there, thaw their relationship with Egypt. So there is definitely a push from Turkey to be demarginalized uh, in the region. I think what Turkey has seen is a stalemate. It, it has seen opponents in Egypt and in Eastern Libya that are more stalwart than they expected. And this stalemate, they realize, isn't serving uh, their interests or anybody else's. So I think in addition to their horrible economy uh, and their domestic situation, I think this has pushed Turkey uh, into a position where it's looking for more solutions. So Aya, is Ankara understanding that it now has to engage with all sides in Libya, not just with its proxy in Tripoli? Yes, because at the end of the day, if you look at the map, Thanos, the Libyan National Army Uh, controls most of the oil assets. And this is an immovable fact. And the stalemate is holding. Egypt's red line is holding. And I think they realize that this is a status quo if uh, changes are not made. Of course, I'm not too optimistic. We've seen these kind of push forwards and reversals all the time. So even though there has been a change in outlook in Turkey, we don't know if this is an approach that will hold. Aya, Turkey, as you've mentioned, has taken steps to end its diplomatic isolation, with Erdogan going on a charm offensive throughout the region. One country that Turkey is looking to mend ties with is Egypt. What could such a reconciliation mean for Libya, where the two countries have supported rival camps? I think it's an important step. Should a full rapprochement happen, I think Egypt would be in a better uh, position to influence Turkey to remove its foreign mercenaries, thousands of Syrian foreign mercenaries in Libya. Uh, Egypt is very disturbed by the presence of uh, Syrian mercenaries in its neighboring country and, of course, Turkish bases in its neighboring country. 
So these are all serious issues for Egypt. And I think if there is a rapprochement, something can be worked out. But until then, Egypt's red lines hold. Absolutely. Egypt is not the EU uh, where, you know, Turkish promises are taken on face value. Egypt is a very strong player. It focuses on actions and not on words. And it's a big player in the region. And they know how to play the diplomatic game. And they're not ones to appease or accommodate. And we've seen that. And Turkey understands that. From what I see from the Egyptian side is that Egypt knows how to speak Turkey's language. And Turkey understands Egypt's position. And that there has to be serious negotiations for rapprochement to happen. So Egypt is very invested in Libya. It's a neighboring country. It is also very concerned with the illegal MOUs that Turkey has signed with its proxy regime in Tripoli. So this rapprochement can play a positive role in Libya for Libyans and Egyptian foreign policy. Egypt also has close ties with Greece, and Greece's prime minister was in Egypt recently. Where does Egypt's relations with Greece fit in with this broader effort that we're seeing for rapprochement between Egypt and Turkey? Egypt's relationship with Greece is very strong. It's very old. It can be characterized as a true friendship. And they have similar interests in the East Med. They're also both part of the Eastern Mediterranean gas worm, which Turkey is keen on joining. So there is a strong sense that where there is a lack of diplomatic access or a freeze between Turkey and Greece, Greece can rely on Egypt to look out for its interests. I, uh, I want to bring us back to Libya. The international community mm-hmm. has repeatedly said that nationwide elections are key to ending the country's decade-long power vacuum. Reports indicate election discussions are occurring amid pressure from the United Nations. Do you see a light at the end of the tunnel? For the foreseeable future, no. There is pressure from the UN, but we also know that it is UN-created bodies like the GNU, the High Council of State, that are the biggest spoilers to elections in Libya. So there's a huge chasm between what is said and what is actually being done. Multiple times, the elections have been sabotaged in 2021. Libya was ready for elections, but it was the UN-appointed government, the GNU, that sabotaged them. And there was no serious consequences for this regime and its insistence to stay in power without a democratic mandate. So without foreign countries, foreign powers actually being serious about acting as guarantors for elections and pushing and sanctioning spoilers to elections, I think we'll see the song and dance continuing where there's discussions and there's interim this, interim that. I think without serious commitment from great powers like the United States, where it makes it very, very clear that we're going to have a date for elections, we are going to respect the Libyans' right to vote, and that they were going to act as guarantors for these elections. And to avoid all these political games and loopholes uh, to keep postponing elections, I don't think elections will happen. But what else will happen? I think there is a sense amongst Libyans that this charade has gone on for so long. You can't have a country, strategic country like Libya, being governed by foreign-appointed entities. And there is a strong need for Libyans to be self-determined. And they're saying now, well, if this is the game the international community is playing, we want to be separated from the region controlled uh, by foreign proxies. And this is something nobody wants. But, you know, this political charade has gone on for so long that this idea is resurfacing in the minds of many Libyans. Aya, despite the fact that, you know, the current government in Tripoli is not authorized by the letter of international law to sign treaties, We've still seen countries, you know, like Italy and like Tunisia strike deals with the GNU. What does that tell us about the seriousness of the international community when it comes to taking Libya to elections? 
It tells us that there is a complete lack of seriousness and commitment to stability in Libya. The GNU uh, functions and survives based on the conglomerate of militias that run Tripoli. And many of these militias are involved themselves in human trafficking and human smuggling and illegal migration. Uh, so what countries like Italy is doing, is they're looking at it from a very short-term practical perspective and saying, well, these militias run the west of Libya. These militias can help us stem the problem of illegal migration, which is a huge problem, by the way, for Italy. It is a huge concern for them. And they're striking up deals. This is very short term because what you're doing is embedding a system of militia rule that is ultimately not stable for the security of the country. Every so often you hear about militia infighting, militias using migration as a tool for negotiation. So this is a very short term perspective from Italy, understandable given their desperation in dealing with this crisis, but very, very short term. But at the same time, it does make it very difficult to have a legitimate government in Libya. It shows a lack of respect for international law. It shows a lack of respect for sovereignty and Libyans' rights, for self-determination and a democratic government. So what we see here is, you know, policies determined by short-term self-interest that I think in the long term will backfire. Aya, it's always great speaking with you. Thanks again for joining us. You too, Thanos. Thank you. In other news, a funeral service was held Friday for a Greek soccer fan killed in an attack led by Croatian supporters that has rattled European sporting officials. Hundreds of mourners gathered outside a church in Levsina, 25 kilometers west of Athens, clapping as his white casket was carried past them. UEFA President Alexander Seferin will visit Greece next week and plans to meet on Wednesday with Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis and the head of the Greek Football Federation, Panagiotis Baltakos. Representatives of the country's four major clubs, AEK Athens, Olympiakos, PAOK, and Panathinaikos, as well as government sporting officials, have been invited to attend the discussions. Finally, the Ecumenical Patriarchate on Friday thanked the Prefect of Trebzon for signing the written permit for the Patriarchal Liturgy at the historic monastery of Panagia Sumela on August 15th, the feast day of the Dormition of the Virgin Mary. In a statement on Friday, the Ecumenical Patriarchate said it received the permit in writing, thanking both the signatory and Turkish government authorities. It is noted that initially Turkish authorities had refused permission, but approval was first issued late last month. The monastery is located high in the mountains near the Black Sea and was founded nearly 1,600 years ago. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.